Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Want a great way to recognize your employees? Check out Custom Inc. Have you ever thought about doing something special for your customers? Custom Inc. can do that too. And wouldn't your team love some custom gear? Custom Inc. is ready. Custom Inc. is your go to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy to use website when you don't. Plus, everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at custominc.com. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on the Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by the man who needs no third person to join him, Mark Mosey. Uh, what's up, buddy? How's it going? We'll see if you are living by that statement in 25 minutes' time. <laughs> yeah. But no, very I, I ima- well. I'm. I was going to say, I imagine I will be, but yeah, how's it going, man? <laughs> things things are going well on, I don't know, this, this brand new scale, which has evolved where very well is purely survival. Um, it, it, yeah. used, it used to be how much enjoyment you were managing to extract from life, but, but quite now it's just putting one foot in front of the other and, and taking each day, isn't it? I think it's... Um, it's a struggle that so many people are accustomed to now and you you feel bad for even thinking these things never mind saying them but just it it's it's a little bit more towards existence than life than than I'd like at the moment <laughs> oh man i i sometimes think about the people who lived in the early 1900s during the uh giant spanish flu pandemic yeah. uh mm-hmm. And I think about how, you know, I wonder, did, did Twitter keep them entertained? You know, (laughs) did, did, you know, how did they survive with so few video on demand options? You know, I just, I don't know. Um, But uh, all joking aside, I, you know, right. I mean, we literally jumped on this and I said, you asked me how I was doing and <laughs> I started to answer with, I think my wife and I, and then I'm like, no, I should hit record first. Um, I think that, so 
we're we're I mean we're we're fine we're healthy I'll, I'll get to that in a minute but um, in greater detail but um, I think we're I think we're starting to do that thing Mark where as we've gotten past we just got past her birthday and now we're into the holiday season which is not going to certainly be the holiday season we're normally mm-hmm. accustomed to and we're going into back into a greater I guess more disciplined kind of lockdown like we were at the beginning of this thing and we're starting to look at each other like oh god we're really stuck with just us for a while aren't we are we going to be able to make it um and uh, you know and i mean that in the most loving uh this hashtag marriage sort of way uh you know we're fine uh but yeah it's i don't know man i i i feel remiss coming on here and Asking how COVID's going over there, as if I'm asking about how uh, you know, uh, you know how how uh, you know how just life is in general. It just feels like a, it almost begins to feel like a cliche, generic uh, conversation starter. Like, what do you do for a living, buddy? Yeah. And uh, you know, shit like that. Asking a British person how COVID is going over there is like me asking you how your new chocolate teapot is doing. Um, so. There's, <laughs> No, no one needs to to publicise just quite how shambolic it is. But um, I, I think what you what you reference there is that obviously you've got a couple of um, sort of big occasions and birthdays and things out the way, and your your sense of hope and optimism and just generally looking forward to something is pretty much non-existent at the moment. Because I, I don't think I don't think that's that's totally harsh to say but I yeah think but most... Ever- everton plays on sunday mark i don't know what you're talking about buddy. no sorry the, the audio <laughs> might be quite bad i said look forward to <laughs> uh, but yeah it, you just you live for those moments of hope to the point where god when when your, your sky news flashes and it mentions something about a covid vaccine that might work mm-hmm. you feel like getting yeah. back out into the street and banging your pans and pots again because that's that's the the salvation and the freedom that I think most of us are, are clinging on to at the moment. But in terms of things to look forward to, you you correctly mentioned, Rob, that this this very much applies to sport as well. And if there's anything that's gonna keep me going at the moment and trudging through the swamp that is international football, I think Richarlison rising above a uh, a defense and, and heading one home is is something that I can cling on to just just in the in the in the small moments. Yeah. I mean, look, nothing gives me the, the big, the big feeling in my pants quite like seeing (laughs) Chink, Chink Tosin bury a a, a penalty on international duty for Turkey. But, uh, yeah, I, (laughs) international, he's in in the, the, the golden era of footballers who are so he, he is a Turkey player. Don't tell me about any form of club he's ever played for. He survives to be the leader of the Turkish national team. And I think that that's yeah. very much a role that you can imagine him sliding into. We had a very similar situation a few years ago with um, David Healy of Northern Ireland, who the only the only notable club spell I can ever remember was a, a kind of half-arsed few games for Fulham. Um, but notedly never did anything in the Premier League or, or at sort of a very high domestic level and then consistently 
bang them in against any form of national team that was put in front of him. You know, <laughs> best teams did, in the FIFA World Rankings. He was ready because he lived for that national side. Did uh, did he ever, you know, bang in a brace on a cold day at Stoke like my man Chank did? Because you know, <laughs> well, I, yeah. I look. Let me let let me def- let me let me de- de- defend this uh, this uh, you know our our it favorite. Was it was so cold and I don't think people appreciate cold enough when it comes to, to scoring goals. Um, you know, if I can, can defend our possibly performatively fascist striker, listen for a minute, uh, a look, I, you know, you try living, you try being a high profile, uh, person, uh, from Turkey who has family there. And then you tell me how you're not going to kiss the ass of the president every minute that you well, can, because I've seen, I've seen so many, uh, I brought this up. This is so random, but I brought this up years ago. There was a, uh, th- one of the best, um, or there's an NBA player who played here in Oklahoma city for, for several years. And he's still very close to the community here. His name Ennis Cantor. And he is openly defiant, uh, uh, you know, in his disdain for um, the Turkish president uh, Erdogan, and mm. uh, as as punishment for that, his family has been thrown in jail, thro- thrown in prison, and uh, suffered torture and all this other crazy stuff. And so, yeah. uh, and I've heard those stories, and he's talked about how you know heartbreaking it is for him, and and he's you know they've they've tried to basically re- you know revoke his passport and try to uh, apprehend him in other countries it's insane and i think so i always kind of think about that when i you know people get up in arms about chink tosin doing the salute after he scores a goal along with all you know those turkish i'm like eh, you know i don't it's a lot sports is basically professional wrestling half the time guys. <laughs> yeah. like, we like to think it's real but uh, you know that everyone has a role and sometimes that role comes with a gun to your head or to the head of your loved ones uh, depending on where you're from so i i try to give cut him a little slack but but no i chink tosin look chink tosin will always be the guy who scored the second goal in that two nil palace game that i was at uh at goodison yeah. standing next to, to ne- next to matt jones and one of the greatest memories of my life um that was where we got to see Lookman uh, get a cross in for Calvert Lewin for the yeah, game winner. Right. Those were saw Michael Keane. Michael Keane actually was the one who sprung Chinktosin on the break on that second goal, and and I remember thinking Michael Keane tried to clear it, and it looked like a great pass because yeah, yeah. he can't pass. But you know he, but, but hey, now he looks like he can pass a little bit. So uh, good for him. I I I look. I Chinktosin is is obviously a rel- He's a short timer here but it also just sort of reminded me man that like who isn't a short timer at Everton you know except outside of a few guys outside of the 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 Hibberts and Coleman's of the and and Baines of the world like most guys are most guys at your club are are there for a few years and then they move on and and so you you just kind of I think do what you did which is find ways to to kind of 
to, to have fun with things like their hairline or their international career and, and things like that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, Chink Tosin is going to, uh, le- you know, quote, retire before he's 40 years old. Uh, he, he's somehow like 10 years younger than me, which is amazing. And I think he's like 30, 31. Yeah. I don't I don't know. He looks like he's been 35 for his whole life, but. You know he's going to retire with gobs of money, and oh. you know the jokes on jokes on us yeah, he, for uh, he plays, thinking he's some sort of failure. <laughs> he, he plays three and a half games a season. He's got at least seven or eight years at the top level still uh, left in him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it gets it gets to that idea too. And this isn't specifically about Chink Tosin, but I always have this argument with, uh, and this is of course coming from you know. Uh, a very like hyper capitalist culture, I guess, and and just uh, the way that I've consumed sports. But like, I never, I never fault these players for trying to absolutely get the most money they can when they can get it, because they mm-hmm. th- they've got their time to do it. And you know, uh, what? But what's funny to me is that Everton gets off get they sometimes they get let off the hook like they'll sign a guy to a huge contract that's irresponsible and then they'll be like mad at the player for not gr- being gracious enough or honorable enough to give that money back out of the goodness of their heart yeah. because they aren't scoring enough goals and I'm just like that's not how it works you know? be mad at Ramirez, yeah, dude. <laughs> hey, dude. Sandro Ramirez is a fucking baller. All right, you know why? Because Sandro figured out a way to turn one partial good season into a mega lucrative contract. And uh, as much as I would have liked that, and and I was convinced that that would also come with a ton of goals because. I don't think I've ever been more nervous about a, a transfer getting completed than Sandro Ramirez, man. I'm, you remember those days. Like, Real, that was Real Madrid a big deal. <laughs> I mean, Real is going to, they're going to, they're going to gazump us, Mark. They're going to gazump us. Uh, I, that's the only, only appropriate use for the word gazump is in a transfer story like that. But, um, no, I, I, I look, you, look, you, you, every it's all it's all a risk, and sometimes it pays off, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes you sign a guy and they're great, and sometimes you don't. But you know those players are, are laughing their way to the bank most of the time. But whew, that was that's a random rabbit hole we went down. Was, that is it, classic. It was, it was nice to. I, I was starting to worry when when the the pod started, and we obviously discussed topics. I did worry that Sander Ramirez wouldn't get in, um, so I am. Oh yeah, me I too. am happy with that, but. I, I, I still held out hope for him when he went out on loan because you, you do you do occasionally see players come back from loan spells and, and have at least progressed or at least gained some experience. And, and that is, of course, what we hope that Moise Keane is, is doing right now. But when he when he kicked the floor, when he was through on goal, I think there was a... You could almost on Merseyside hear the collective sigh of oh no, we've signed another one. And I think it's important what you say about the the way that Everton have kind of got away with this. And I think the the problem with that is that the more that you repeat a mistake, the more diluted its negative impact seems. Um, the amount of players that in, in recent history we have gone out and and possibly not necessarily spent massive transfer fees on, but certainly broke the bank in terms of wage budget. And that, yeah. that is that is ultimately the the battle that Marcel Brands continues to fight on a daily basis, is, is how do you clear, not necessarily players in terms of getting big transfer fees in for them, but trying to give everyone 
a perspective of how much this football club spends on paying footballers that never kick a football for them. And I think that that is yeah. that was ultimately the the crime that will will follow Steve Walsh's tenure at Everton round with him for the rest of those Evertonians' lives, really. Well, is Steve Walsh, uh, you know, I, I'd i love to see the Venn diagram of people who tell me that Michael Keane is one of the best defenders in the world now and Steve Walsh is a terrible director of football or that Jordan yeah. Pickford is, don't believe it or not, Jordan Pickford's really talented. You just can't see it because he never plays well and you're not <laughs> smart enough to understand the difference, then that's your problem. Um yeah, like, yeah, that's a weird one. Um, Steve Walsh is, I, I feel like he can't, until guys like Keane and Pickford are, are gone, mm. and I don't mean, I'm not rushing anyone out the door. It's just, well, Pickford for sure, fuck him. <laughs> but um, sorry, I'm surly today. Um, I just can't, I just, I'm so tired. Like, God, he's just like the, he's just like that. He's like that that weird cousin that you dread seeing at family gatherings. That that you just it, it just it it he, that person lingers every time you think about going home for something. You're just like, oh, I don't want to have to see Jordan. He's such a prick. Ugh. He drops um, everything, and he's he's not quite tall yeah. enough. And fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like we have to until those players have moved on, and you can kind of fully evaluate their career. I, I don't. I'm trying to think who else. Can, so obviously Sigurdsson, I think we can all agree, has been a bust. I I, I, don't, I mean, he had one pretty good season, but a bust compared to what he was, um, what we needed him to be. Yeah. And I, I'm not even talking about the fee because the fee was just criminal to begin with, as we all kind of acknowledge yeah. now. Um, but, but you know, his his career... Even if you want to be generous and say he has had, he's been a, a an average to slightly above average option for Everton for the last few years. Well, that wasn't what we were paying for. And uh, when I see him scoring a free uh, a set piece goal for Iceland, it just kicks me in the nuts one more time. I swear to yeah. God uh, that he's never going to do it for us. It's never going to happen. And so you know, like I, I, I so him and then Pickford and then. You know, well, obviously, Klassen and Rooney, and you know all that crap. But um, you know, I guess Keane. Keane's the so Keane. What I guess Michael Keane is is he the best player that Steve Walsh signed? Uh, is there someone I'm missing? The, there, a, oh, Calvert Lewin. Well, Calvert Lewin is he technically a Walsh player? Yeah, but let's not give him credit for that. Yeah, see, that's what we do. <laughs> I have narrative, and narrative is going to be narrative, and I'm not going to let you mess with my narrative with pesky things like facts and, you know, uh, truthfulness. Uh, yeah, like... It's interesting yeah, how, like, Cal you... Calvert-Lewin. At, at the time, at the time, none of us were against any of these signings because as soon no. as... As soon as your director of football or manager comes in and they, they stamp their MO about what their transfer policy is going to be... So Steve Walsh and Ronald Koeman was going out and buying probably the best players from other Premier League sides. Um, you look at someone like Sigurdsson, for example. We continued it down the line with people like Ashley Williams, uh, Michael Keane, obviously at Burnley. These were, those were players who were consistently performed and had risen through the ranks at their own club to the point where you thought that inevitable progression follows and there was kind of a naivety about how footballers and how difficult it is to transfer 
what has happened at a, an ex-club and in a particular system and under a particular manager and to try and bring that in. And I think it's it's interesting now and everything about, if you step back and look at Carlo Ancelotti's transfer policy on paper, it's probably one that would send shivers down your spine when you wrote it down because it's it's got all the hallmarks potentially in a few years of us looking back and saying, did we honestly think we could get the best out of Hammers? Did we honestly think that Isco, <laughs> at, at the point in the career that he was in, was a was a viable option? But when when you're in the moment and your your faith is in so many of the people who are in charge of making these decisions, then of course you get on board because that is yeah. that is the hope that you crave. Um, the, there is for every pessimistic Evertonian out there when Isco's name is mentioned. There, there is that unspoken dread of are we going out and buying someone who is who is clearly past his his peak, uh, and as as much as you will always fall back on the side of trusting Carlo Ancelotti, um, primarily because he is Everton manager, but but more importantly because of the trust that he has earned in in the global game, there there is still that jeopardation. I think with a lot of of the nature of signing these sort of more established footballers. And yeah. there's an element, I mean, you, you can argue that there's less risk because you know what you're bringing in and these are players at, at the peak of their game, in inverted commas. Um, there is more risk in that you don't really offer these players the opportunity to turn the tide should it go wrong for a couple of years because they are then at an age where progression of the career is arguably beyond them um and as much as we've we've seen some fantastic things from james rodriguez it only takes three games of him either not playing or playing poorly where you think oh right. oh god is the impact uh, quite what we thought <laughs> here was the downside of this move yeah um yeah yeah well it, but yeah, the, yeah the, i th- yeah go ahead the the problem with that is that i think the, the danger that Everton fall into at the moment and having one, don't get me wrong, we'd all love a few players in the ilk of James Rodriguez, but the problem with having just one of them was highlighted massively by Luke Shaw and Manchester United because Everton are not a multi-dimensional offence or a multi-dimensional functioning team. There is one way that we know how to play on the face of it. Uh, And I know this might be a a very naive football fan thing to say, but it it looks as though on those days where it's clicking, it's really working. And Everton look like a a real force. But very few teams have, have done things in this league or in this sport by being so single dimensional in terms of how they function. Uh, I think that the only the only time that that really came to the ilk and really worked in the Premier League was when Leicester City won won the league. Um they they had a very clear definition of what 90 minutes of football looked like. Um they they were very solid. They were very dangerous on the counter attack. Um they knew how to defend leads and they knew how to punish teams and that's that's all. That's great when it goes well, uh, but it, it very right. That, it very that's an rarely average. goes well. It very rarely goes yeah. well for thirty-eight games. Um, Five thousand out of one times, as was the odds for Leicester City to win the league. It, it goes that way. Um, but I think it, it, it's important, and I, I have no doubt that Carlo Ancelotti is the man to 
to make this this dream reality. But it's important that Everton learn how to do things differently when situations change and when Luke Shaw, Man Marks, James Rodriguez, or when Richarlison's out injured. It, it it can't there can't be a situation for this team whereby when you pull one screw the whole thing falls apart and I think that that's probably been the concern that most of us have had over the last fortnight. Well, and 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 I think that it brings up a question. I mean, I, we somehow I love how we went from. <laughs> We went from like Jake going Tyson. back into the deep, deep dregs of COVID <laughs> to to some funny, funny jokes about international careers and scoring a brace on a cold day at Stoke to this. But uh, this is exactly how I love these conversations to go, Mark. Um, I look. I, I think it brings up something that I did want to talk with you about today, which is just kind of asking the the. The, the the tough question, which it's not it's not really a tough question, but it's tough to talk about sometimes, which is, you know, just how limited are Everton right now. I mean, I, I we talked a lot um, during the horny fever dream of transfer <laughs> mania in the last few weeks um, about this notion and i and i keep bringing it up for a reason because i think it's an interesting thought exercise if you will about um you know the team a, a team that that is trying to go from being i guess you couldn't call us good last season obviously but mm. but trying to take a step up from being uh, above average to being good or from being good to great like that there are these steps that you take and um, I think you and I both acknowledged as we talked about the Wilfred Zaha hypothetical yep. uh, of which, you know, there's uh, I don't know how much interest there really genuinely was. But obviously where there's smoke, there's probably some fire at least. Um, but the more I think about it and the more I watch Everton when they struggle, to your point, in terms of playing more than one particular sort of way, um, I, I think about the lack of balance in this thing. Uh, you, you, you know, it's easy to say, well, you, you take Richarlison out for three games and that's going to make a big difference because he's probably still... Um, uh, well, I mean, uh, he's been our best player bar none for for a few years now, but but uh, and probably still our most complete player. Though Hamas is obviously a transcendent figure, but to that point, um, the whole thing still feels imbalanced. Uh, to, you know, to the left side of things, and then you have Hamas Rodriguez, who obviously. Com- you can tech. I mean, he is a right-sided player about as much as your need to write out a team sheet that has people placed in certain positions mm-hmm. so that you can tweet about the starting 11 an hour before the game. But he's not really a right. He's not a wing player for sure. And, and to his credit, he is the sort of player that needs to have the freedom to move around and do all these other things. But yeah. that requires certain types of players uh, backing him up on the right side that, um, you know, I, I, you know, look, there's, if you're not going to enjoy watching Everton win trophies then you have to, 
enjoy the smug sa- satisfaction of being right, Mark. I mean, I think that that's, that's my, that's gotta be my, my, one of my top three Everton things. And how are you going to work um, Tom Davis into this I'm, conversation? Well, we'll get to that because there's no point in having a pod with you where we don't talk about Tom Davis. Uh, the, the Les Roberts theory of putting him at right back intrigues me on some weird level, but, um, I, I'm sorry. I was right about Seamus Coleman and here's how, um, I will tell all of you who are listening, who are saying, you know, fuck you, Rob. You're just a hater of Seamus Coleman. Well, look, I, I'm not a hater of Seamus Coleman. I think he has been uh, a very good player, value for money, all those things for Everton for a long time. I don't think he's a good captain. I don't care how many interviews he gives to the official site where he says, we owe the fans a response this week, as if that just makes you a good captain. And I get that, you know, I get that really – Tough, hardworking white guys are the absolute inspiration for many of you as as the prototypical leader. I get it. Okay, that's fine. Um, whatever. I don't hate Seamus Coleman. I think Seamus Coleman is fine. And in fact, I want to give Seamus Coleman credit for starting the season very well. Um, Seamus Coleman played better than I thought he could play though the bar is really low because our expectations of of him and by the way i think a transfer fee follows you forever man yeah absolutely anything you we've ever gotten out of Seamus Coleman has been viewed as this <laughs> massive victory parade because of how little we paid for him and we write we we sing songs about it and that's great but what i will say is that my biggest concern about Seamus Coleman is not about anything that Seamus Coleman is guilty of because you are not guilty of being 31 years old or 32 years old you know that's not i, I don't blame him for that i blame everton for very pretty publicly looking at right backs and then and then kind of being like uh, I just don't think we'll get around to it. We can roll with John Joe Kenny. Well, A, we can't. John Joe Kenny is not good. Enough. He is not a Premier League level player. I've seen enough. I, I don't know if, if the rest of you have seen enough. I do not see some sort of like Dominic Calvert-Lewin-esque, uh, you know, surge of quality from yeah. him that, that's going to come. And so what you left yourself with was when Seamus Coleman is is fit, you can start him at right back and you're probably going to be fine. Yes, he's not going to he's not a real dynamic player, but I think he is solid enough. The problem becomes and this is what I kept saying is that Seamus Coleman has an injury history. I know some people were like, well, a freak leg break is, you know, you can't really I'm like, well, yeah, but it's not just that. It's it's that plus the fact that he is of a certain age, plus the fact that he plays a position that generally goes up against the most, you know, the quickest, most athletic guy on the other side on the wings in a, in a league that is full of speed. I said, you know, my my issue with Coleman is that he's going to get hurt and try to play through it or he's going to get hurt and then try to come back and be like 80 percent. Well, Seamus Coleman has shown us time and time and time again that him playing at 70 percent is not not very good. Mm. He makes mistakes and all these other. And again, I don't those are just physical things. The guy is so tough. He is tough. I totally give him that. That he tries to to fight through it. And I know athletes always kind of have to fight through that. But as you get older, it is hard to recover from a hamstring injury. It is hard to recover from a groin injury in terms of of the the pace with which you you recover uh, compared to when you were in your mid twenties. So not having, you know, like what I would give for who was the I've already I'm already I'm already having one of those moments. Uh, who was the the right back we had on loan last season? 
Um, oh, Sidibe. From Sidibe. I would rather have Sidibe than John Joe Kenny. I, uh, 10 yeah. times out of 10. And I, the fact that we don't have a better option back there. And poor poor Ben Godfrey, he's not a right back. Um, he is a, a center half or a defensive midfielder. He's not a right back. And so these things are, we're just kind of trying to get through. But Mark, you and I talked about the Zaha thing in the from the standpoint, to circle back around to that, from the standpoint that it if you are missing a Richarlison, or even if you have a Richarlison, having another dynamic, a dynamic, dynamic, if you will, on the right side yeah, yeah. Uh, is something that would provide balance. And we just, to your point, feel like we are a team that if everyone in the starting 11 is fit and we play that 4-3-3, we could be pretty good. But it only takes a slight wobble. It takes one injury, one suspension, one hamstring that's not fully there. And then suddenly it, it, it feels like a house of cards, like a pretty cool house of cards. <laughs> Man, once that house of cards falls, uh, we've now lost three on the bounce and we're there. And so I know that people are tired of me kind of harping on the same things, Mark. But we talked about the fact that we needed Everton to maybe push a little more in and maybe they will in January, but I kind of doubt it, but we needed them to push a little further in because of the opportunity that this season represented. They started great. And I'm not saying everything is a disaster now, but what I am saying is that when we speculated that we had left ourselves a little short in terms of quality players, I think now we're seeing it. And so it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. I think the only possible explanation for, for not bringing someone in as you say rob is the hope that that is the plan for january um and the as, as close as these two windows are i think there was a there was more of an affordability given to managers 11s this for, for this sort of 12-week period that okay we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna go straight in with all sorts of enormous transfer fees we're going to see how this thing goes and hopefully in an honest world, we're hopefully going to try and get away with it, and and maybe we'll get through another season before we have to make some form of of major move. Um, Wilfred Zahar is is obviously the the name that that was mentioned through the summer and and through every previous summer for what seems like the last six seasons. Um, well, and, and by the way, Mark, yeah. caveat: it, it, Zaha is just a placeholder in this discussion. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying it could have been any. It could have been another qu- high quality player, but. We just don't feel like we have enough you know, difference makers out there. Well, unless everything is perfectly, everyone's perfectly healthy, and even then, it feels like everything is on James Rodriguez to make something happen. Yeah. And, and in terms of the, the type of player, for argument's sake, that Zahar is, I, I personally wouldn't want to hear any other names because if we're talking about being a multi-dimensional footballing team and being dangerous on on countless fronts, then he is the only name that that need be mentioned. Um, but not, not not to stick on Wilfred Zahar again, but the, the the nature of the squad, as you rightly say, is that there was only there was only ever going to be a very small margin for error in terms of how dangerous Everton could be going forward. Um, and like we're not we're not talking about the league figuring out James Rodriguez and and that threat now being nullified right. forever. He, he is clearly going to be an incredibly gifted and, and important player for Everton. But Richarlison's going to be out for games. Calvert-Lewin's going to miss games. He's going to 
going to play more games than ever in a shorter well, space of Calvert time Lewin than ever. Never, <laughs> Calvert-Lewin never misses games, which almost um, scares yeah. me even more. He's, Absolutely. You know, I'm not, I've, I feel like I've already jinxed it by saying it, but yeah, we've, we, we, you know, Moise Keen, uh, we can, I guess we can afford to just have him go. Cause don't worry guys, Chink Tosin's got it covered. Well, Joe, <laughs> no, at the point where Moise Keen was linked with PSG, absolutely no Everton fans thought we'll lose that guy and we won't bring someone else in. We all collectively right. assumed someone else is coming in here. There's a plan. There's no way you can let Moyes Keane go and not sign a wise man or, or not sign someone to, to at least give Calvert-Loon some form of backup because you can put any form of article on the official site that you want about this being Cheng Tosin's renaissance. But I think most of us, <laughs> most of us have seen enough to know that when we're 1-0 down at Newcastle and we we are trailing against what most of us see as a pretty frail opposition, he is not the guy to to come on and inspire change. Uh, and you, you, you can tell, say what you want about Moyes Keane, but in terms of investing in someone in those situations and giving someone those sorts of opportunities, then he is clearly top of that list. And I think the, the thing that compounded the misery of, of not signing someone up top was I think if, if you're going to say that and, and you're going to say, well, we're not going to go out and spend money and my, my ultimate faith is in these three lads up top, there has to be an assurance that when, when the inevitable does happen, you have a trust and a confidence in your backup and more importantly in your youth. Uh, I think if if you go into if, if you go into the last three games and you say, well, do you know what, this has happened. He's not available, but I have ultimate faith in Bernard or in Anthony Gordon, and they're going to be the guys who come in in those desperate situations. A- Anthony Gordon, who's Anthony Gordon? You'll hear about him in a few years, I promise. <laughs> so, but th- that is th- that's the philosophy that fans would then be able to buy into. But if, if you if you have this sort of the core of, of those three up top and then seemingly no real sense of trust in anything else, then it, it kind of alienates the, the rest of the squad a little bit to say, well, oh, I, there's no real faith in you backing up these lads. And it, there almost becomes a point where like the, there's the A group and, and the team that I'll work with and, and that's where the plan is and that's what Everton looks like. But as for you guys, there's there's no real plan in terms of progression about how you become involved in that setup. And I think that that's that's the dangerous thing up top for me. And I think the, the other thing that, that adds to it is just sheer frustration, as you say, Rob. I think most of us, as much as none of us sensed seven wins on in a row coming, we all we all saw this and still definitely still see this as an opportunity and, and a, a platform for Everton to be incredibly relevant in terms of European places this season. And as much as that is absolutely still in the on the cards, I, I feel like the the concerns that I have about about Everton at the moment and their ability to break the top six, if you want to call it, I feel like I'll revisit this at, at, at multiple times throughout the season because the the problem with Everton, you talk about, you know, turning average to good and good to great is that the expectation from from all sides is so there at the moment. And Everton fans are so ready for this development. And I think if you look at the other teams around us, like a Leicester and a Wolves, 
the the quality is absolutely there, but the urgency, the the general urgency from the football club is not there for progress. I think that that's probably hampered Everton in in recent years in that we've been so keen to you know build new stadium, build get a new owner, be the biggest team in the city, you know crack the top four, do all of these things because. We we quite rightly see that as our place, um, but doing all of these things at the same time is is incredibly difficult. Um, and just to just to touch on what you said about Seamus Coleman and and that position in general, for on a on a on a personal level for him, he is clearly going to be the biggest victim of the problem that James Rodriguez poses in in terms of right being functional down that right-hand side when we haven't got the ball. Um, and I think that was yeah. that was clearly the concern when you bring in a inverted commas luxury player because you we don't want to see James I don't want to see him in our half. Uh, and that's why you, you rightly say that when you are plotting out an Everton 11 an hour before kickoff, I'm quite happy just to leave James Rodriguez at the side or have a big asterisk next to his name and say, please don't expect to see this guy where you expect to see him because <laughs> yeah. that, that is absolutely not what we want from him. But I think Seamus Coleman is a player who, looking back down the years, has probably relied a little bit more on structure and shape of a side than James Rodriguez is ever really going to be interested in. Right, uh, And and that's, right. the, that's the major challenge for Ancelotti to make that work and, and for, for Seamus Coleman to make that work. But again, in, in terms of where you point fingers from a recruitment point of view, if you go into the season with James playing on that right-hand side, then surely there has to be an acceptance that your right-back probably has to be the best player in the team or, or one of them because mm. so much is going to go through them. And we've already, I hate, hate seeing Everton targeted in certain positions, but... How many times in the last few weeks have we seen yeah. opposition managers just know what this is all about? Uh, and that that's what I don't want it to become because if you if you have a, a notable sense of weakness in your own 11, then it, it infects you and, and the confidence drains so quickly. And, and that's what we've, we've worryingly seen over the last few weeks. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Well, and, and, and I don't want to, like, I, I want to reiterate as much as there's been a little doom and gloom here. A lot of that's just related to the fact that, look, we've lost three in a row yeah, after a really yeah. great start. To Mark's point, like, it's all still there for us. And mm-hmm. and there's this idea that, man, you have to be this, you know, kind of, un, you know, flawless team to have aspirations. And I'm sorry, this is a flawed league full of flawed teams. Even the ones at the top don't frankly appear to be that great, even though I think, you know, they've, they've got their own problems. They've got, you know, uh, uh, city have their issues. Uh, clearly the reds have injury problems. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of space here for, uh, opportunity to be seized. And so it's not about necessarily everything needing to be solved, but I would say, 
that um and I, and I know that some of you will focus just exclusively on my critiques of Coleman but I'm not blaming <laughs> Coleman as much as I'm saying that it was from a recruitment standpoint there seemed to be some really good ideas uh that, for instance looking at the the central midfield and saying look it's just so glaringly obvious we've got to address this so we're going to go address it with a couple of players I, I tend to also think by the way that once uh, I'm not going to do the weird joke about, oh, does Gabamon even exist? Like, let's just, let's, let's not operate like that. Like, let's just assume the guy is going to eventually return to training and come back. And if he is a holding midfielder, it's him. Maybe I, I've floated the idea recently that, that why, you know, could I use Ben Godfrey in that role and have him be more of more value than him sitting on the bench mm-hmm. and doing nothing? Yeah. I, so I, again, there are, there, it's not like there are no pathways for improvement here. But I look at the right side compared to the left side, and I'm not smart enough to know. Uh, I always like to caveat it whenever I'm about to make a bold assertion. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not smart enough to know that. You know, to assume to to know how often this happens with lots of other sides, and and I assume that every side has to kind of do some give and take and say we're going to invest in this, but that may leave us short here, and we just got to hope that certain things work out. Mm-hmm. But it definitely feels like the. The idea, to your point, Mark, about Hamas Rodriguez playing on the right or wherever um, and leaving Coleman out there to really have to be probably more, frankly, than he's been and then obviously hope that he never gets hurt and hope that John Joe Kenny uh, is a halfway decent player. It's a lot of hope. It's a lot of hope as a plan. And it's weird because at times I look at the left side and I look at the opportunism of 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 getting Luca Dean when they did and saying, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have as we transition from Baines, you know, mm. a playmaking solid and, and frankly, I don't think any of us thought Dean would be as good as he's ended up being. Like Luca Dean is the best buy of Marcel Brandt's career and I don't think it's really close. And then to then say I I assumed after we bought Luca Dean, well, next season I imagine because of the closeness and age that Coleman is to, you know, to 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 uh, Baines. I'm like, I'm sure we're going to do something on the right side. And three years later, we are still waiting for right back to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I just don't I don't get it. It feels sometimes like like there is a director of football for the left side of the pitch and a director <laughs> of football for the right side of the pitch, and they have different ideas about what a team ought to be. And I just don't like on the left side you have Luca Dean. You have Richarlison, who has you know plays there. You know, like he plays uh, two up front, but often like this season's obviously been more of a left sided player, what have mm. you. He tracks back. He is defense. He's arguably the best defensive forward in the league. That means something, uh, and we've seen what that means lately. And then on the right hand side to say, nah, we. I think what we're going to do over here is go with a very limited older right back and a guy who doesn't have any kind of defensive responsibilities uh, oh, you know, yeah. as a right-sided forward player. And it just, it, it kind of baffles, it, it's, it's a bit baffling, isn't it? It's like, why are you, why why get players like that on one side and then have a what feels like a completely different, well, completely different philosophy on the right-hand side? Uh, I, I'm not so... I'm not such a jerk to think that, well, you know, obviously Everton aren't aware of these things or, aren't, you know, I think that they, you know, Marcel Brands knows, but there's the, the reality of budget and the reality of a lot of things, you know, certainly, you know, comes into play. But 
I think that as we go into and, and we kind of transition this conversation into what's what's coming, um, you know, I think that there's an opportunity here during this break uh, for for Carlo Ancelotti to have have looked at the last three games and to say, all right, I don't need to like I don't know how you feel about this, Mark, and I, I do want your opinion on this. I I'm not really of the belief that a formational change has to happen right now. I, I think it's more. A personnel thing. If we have the right players in these positions, in the right positions, I think four three three has shown in those first seven games, especially that it can create chances, that you can do certain things. But I would argue um, that the tweak is a that's needed is a personnel tweak. Mm-hmm. Um, now, right back, you can't really do much about. You hope Seamus Coleman's healthy. If he's not, I guess you just. You know, you, you do what you can, uh, but I, I, I'd like to think and I wonder if in January we're going to have to address that. The defensive issues of late, um, I'm curious about your opinion on this, too. Like, I think we and I get it because the back four is our four, the four defensive players. But I think it's an oversimplification to just look at those four and say, well, you know, either they're great or they're not. Like if we're good defensively, it's because those four are good. And if we're not, it's because they're not. I think Mm. our defensive performance has a lot to do with how our midfield has played our lack of, like you said, defensive responsibility from, you know, offensive players on the right-hand side. Like I think it's a multi-layered problem. I, I think that the uh, – I've brought this up, but I think, Matt, you know, I, I, I brought up this idea that I wanted – I felt like we need more from DeCorey and Allen. Um, I know Allen leads the league in tackles, but I also don't think that he – I think that, yes, he can be a holding midfielder, but really I think he and DeCorey would be better playing further forward. So then the question becomes – because really that Sigurdsson or Gomez, if if those are your answers, the question's terrible. Like I, I don't – I don't think either of them should be starting. They've proven over and over again that, that – that, I don't know what's going on with Gomez. I feel like there's something more there that we don't really fully get mm-hmm. um, because he's still – but with Sigurdsson, look, he just he's not a starter. He's not. Every time he 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 starts, it's awful. So, if you take them them out of the equation, do, do you shuffle that that holding midfield player? Does that help the defense a little bit more? Um, I was, I, I sure hope Mason Holgate can. He was only back for one game. I don't know yeah, why he right, started. Yeah. I think that was ridiculous and and he needs time to bed back in. But I think I think he's got quality to him. But he and Keen. Did not play well uh, against United. So, um, what's the w- what is it for you uh, that needs to happen? Because Fulham is a must-win. I, I don't think there's any way around it. Fulham is going to get relegated this season. Uh, if you don't win these games, you have you, you can't argue that you should be competing and competing for European yeah, spots. So, w- what's the solution? Th- these next three games present a weird, unique opportunity. You have Fulham. Uh, followed by Leeds at home, which I'm already nervous about the shit show that could potentially be defensively. And then Burnley away, which that that's one nil written all over it too. So what's, what's the, what's the tweak if you were Carlo Ancelotti that you would make? Is it formational? Is it personnel? What, what would you do? Because I don't think he can with a straight face, go out there and put the same starting 11 out there that has lost the last three, three weeks. That Leeds game's got four all written all over it. Oh, it certainly does. It certainly really, does. really not looking forward to that. Um, I think formation changes are changes that you make when there is very little 
optimism or hope with the current system that you're playing. Um, and we are we are so far off that. I, I know that we can be the most pessimistic of Everton fans at the best of times, Rob, but we we appreciate what is going on at Everton and the, the strengths that we have. And 4-3-3, I believe, is the best way to, to extract them. Uh, it, it, it primarily suits our best players. It just needs a fine tweaking of that that three in the midfield for me. Um, I think the the major the major concern I have had is that when we brought Alan in, he was he was arguably the most important player for me coming in because the the picture of Everton 2019-20 was being carved through the middle of the pitch. Um, be that via passes or or people dribbling straight through us, there was a there was a flimsy underbelly to Everton, and it really felt that a, a really strong and capable central defensive midfield player was going to solve all of that, and quite importantly, link the issues that we'd had in midfield and link the rest of that midfield to the defence, so that we're not we're not solely relying on, as you say a good centre-half partnership to survive defensively. It has to be a little bit more holistic than that. And I think in terms of positional sense, Alan is probably the one that's worried me most. Um, I'm not overly sure what his position in that three is meant to be. Um, Clearly, he's never going to be the most advanced midfielder. uh, And for so many reasons, we don't want him to be that. But... I, I almost kind of want to see it strip back to an even more basic approach that we've seen so far in that I, I, I'm happy to see him be that, almost operate in, in the hole between midfield and defence and, and be that that stable core that it looks like this side needs. Because quite frankly, with the, the calibre of player we've got going forward, we don't necessarily need a land breaking the lines and becoming overly involved in on-the-ball gameplay because we've got people like Richarlison and, and countless others to do that. I, I I don't really see the the disciplined central midfielder that I thought we were, were buying into. And I, I know that he's got however many tackles and, and quite frankly, I'm not surprised because he goes looking for them. Um, but that's 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 not necessarily the the style of player I, I, I want to see. However, if, if that's the type of type of player that Ancelotti is trying to extract from Alan, then something needs to be done behind him, uh, and that's where you do start looking at, um, preferably not Holgate because he's excelled so much at centre half. But you do possibly look at other players and think, well, how do they? How does Godfrey fit into a, d- a defensive midfielder, or? Oh, are we are we buying time until Gabamin comes back? And yeah, when that happens, know. does Gabamin sit? Is Alan? It sounds mad for a defensive midfielder, but is he given freedom to go and be that head case in the middle of the park that goes and wins balls and and, and wins tackles and occasionally gives fouls away and then gets a little bit involved in the build up? It, it all seems a little bit, and I appreciate that that this will come with time. These lads have played what six competitive Premier League games together these these issues will be refined with time but it, it, it almost strikes me that there are, I, I'm very aware that there's three individual footballers playing in that position for Everton in central midfield yeah, and yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no real sense of cohesion at the moment and I, I know that 
I don't think anything is... The most cohesive they looked was against Spurs, believe it or not. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and that's, that's ironically the last time we kept a clean sheet. Um, yeah, but yeah. The, I think no no football club has expected more from any one signing than what Everton, Everton needed from Alan because he needed to come in not only into a new league, um, but it was coming into a football club that stability wasn't really tolerated as much as we needed him to come in and add stability standing still at Everton under Ancelotti is not an option and and that is straight from the man himself in that we we want you to come in and we know you're one of the best best midfielders in Syria we want you to adapt to this league and this culture very very quickly and we also need you to propel us into the top four if you don't mind uh, and and that yeah, is the just that the level of expectation that is being thrown at Alan at the moment. But I think the the point you make about central midfield, I've, the major issue with central midfield is that to this point we don't really see a plan for how they are going to accommodate for a player like James Rodriguez. How do you solve a problem like James? In that I yeah. think we would we would all. We'd all accept the the role that Hammers plays in this eleven. If there was a notable plan on field for what happens on the right hand side when we lose the ball, right. Um, right, and and that is that's potentially where someone like Godfrey starts to to come into his own in that middle because there's an acceptance that he's the one who goes right when we lose the ball, or some form of backup plan, some form of fail safe about how we deal with this. I think it, it's occasionally been something which has been pointed towards Decore, and you've kind of seen him doing that. But again, it, that's, it's not the play we bought. He He's not. No, he's supposed to be getting forward exactly. a little more. And, 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 and I applaud, and here's the thing about Decore, I applaud the effort. He has busted his gut getting back at times. But, it, 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 but are we all kind of guilty of doing that thing, Mark, where we pigeonhole mid three, central midfielders into one of three categories? You are either a yeah, defensive yeah. midfielder, you're a box-to-box, which is some kind of in-between, or you're an attacking mm-hmm. central midfielder. And we expect them to kind of – these individual players with their own individual skills and talents to sort of – fall neatly into that archetype or whatever. And I just don't like with Alan, he is, he is a player who can't, who has good, some very good defensive capabilities, but yet he's not disciplined positionally because he, I think he's more of a box to box guy who just wants to cause havoc out there, be opportunistic on the ball, what have you. I always thought with Decore, the idea was let him, you know, let him, you know, get more involved in the in the mix offensively, right? And then, mm-hmm. so to me, it's sort of like you're asking you're asking a, a, an instinctual player like Alan to just sort of ignore your instincts, stay stay in this little, you know, boxy area, don't move from that, don't deviate from that, and I don't know that that's his game. It doesn't seem like it is because he seems to get out of position a decent amount, even though he's done a lot of good things. I'm not totally throwing him under the bus, but it just feels like Everton are a they're they're the the midfield is in need of a tweak. And by the way, is Allen even fit for Sunday? Like he was held out of the last game for Brazil. I, I I just think this this notion that you that that we can't get a little creative with our squad is you know we complain all the time that we don't have players that can do more than one thing we yeah. bought ben godfrey he plays multiple positions we bought 
Fabian Delph, who theoretically plays multiple positions, like, like there's going to have to be a time where you say they can either do it or they can't. Mm. But I'm, 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 I, it just feels like, you know, I, I, I do think that in theory, there's a plan there where Gabamin is the answer yeah. to this mm-hmm. on some level. But, but if, if, but, but I don't think, like, I anticipate Gabamin is coming back. He's working hard. And I am rooting for that guy because if you can't feel sympathetic for a guy who has been Everton as much as that guy has <laughs> since he arrived, then I don't, I don't want us to be friends. But what I would say is that he is a plan on paper right now only until he starts training. It's just all very theoretical. Who, uh, what are your other options? Tom Davis, you know, you're not going to put Tom, I mean, uh, okay. I guess maybe uh, Andre Gomez is not playing any kind of holding role. Sigurdsson, pff, yeah, right. Um, uh, you know, Delph probably makes the most sense, but is he fit? Like it's all these things, and I I think that it just continues to show that there are some little pockets of real talent and ability and promise in this eleven, but there are also some kind of glaring deficiencies that have to be addressed but it's gonna you can say well we need to address it with incomings but i also kind of think well you you hired a manager who is who his his mantra is that he plays to these players talents as opposed to being married to a very particular system right so i I don't know what that that looks like, but he's had two weeks, and I guess I'll be disappointed if we're just rolling out the exact same group without yeah. having really been honest about what, what got us in trouble these last three games. I think the frustration of the break is that Carlo Ancelotti has had this time, but it's not been hands-on, uh, and that's that's right. the painful element of getting these players back, what, probably today or, or yesterday. Um, at least Everton have been afforded that extra day of prep time, I guess, but um, yeah, yeah. What happens in the middle? I don't know. C- could Gomez do it? Could could he do that deeper role? Is that is that potentially his opportunity to become relevant in in that midfield again? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it obviously. He, I think that guy took a lot on when Idrissa Gay left, uh, and in the games where right in the games where he tried to kind of do that holding role and and had people like Davis and and Sigurdsson alongside him. Quite frankly, it, it was never going to work. Um, do, does it now work, given the the caliber of player alongside him? Um, I'm not sure. Um, at the moment, he seems like an okay option, as as much as Alan is in terms of shackling someone to the centre of the field and and not allowing that sense of freedom. Andre Gomez, positionally, you would say, has had that freedom for the start of the season and we haven't seen a great deal from him. Um, but Alan, Alan looks like someone who we're keeping on a leash unfairly, uh, as you, as you say, it's un- unless we're going to, we're going to really work with him to instill that kind of boring level of discipline that, that every good central defensive midfielder needs, then it's it's always going to look a little bit more Tommy Gravison than Idrissa Gay, uh, and that was yeah yeah. Ooh, that's a good that's a great comparison. Yeah, honestly, yeah. watching watching Alan against Man United, and I know that there was a point in the game where we kind of thought it was gone and heads were down after what was going to be a third consecutive defeat. But the whole headless chicken mantra that Gravison used to have in that centre of midfield started to rear its ugly head and I found myself making a comparison that 
no Everton fan wants to make. Um, you can remember a, a good eight months of Tommy Gravison, but there was four really painful years that, that preceded that. And yeah, none of us want to go down that path. Um, so it's it, it's an incredibly unfair remark to make with Alan because obviously for all of the reasons that we've mentioned that this whole Alana Everton thing is a work in progress but I don't know it feels it feels as though we've we've thrown so much resource at the midfield that the last thing I want us to do after the Christmas period regardless of how well it goes is say well let's go out and buy that additional midfielder we need because draw the line I mean coach your footballers and and that is that yes. is why we've got Carlo Ancelotti here in the if something is going wrong we can't be that football club that consistently throws money at its problems uh, and I appreciate that, that we are only eight weeks down the line from having already done that in the summer but there has to be an acceptance now that this is the core and, and this is the, the group of players that we go forward with. And as much as there may be, there may be elements of tweaking and, and right back is, is clearly one that um, for, for no other reason than age will need addressing in the next couple of years. But it, it, it feels as though the pieces are here now and the, the pieces in terms of what we want to do in the next couple of years, the foundations are very much there. Uh, and uh, admittedly, as as much as it's going to be potentially difficult to keep hold of a couple of those players, and as much as you see Richarlison do nice things and, and say wonderful things on Twitter, you, oh yeah, you know that the heartbreak is inevitable. <laughs> yeah, but well, and we talked about that. Get circling back to that conversation about being opportunistic in the window. Yeah. We have to. Ass- I I love him, and I think he will all. I think he loves Everton and will always love Everton. But a player's love for a club has its limits. We've always seen that. And I there love will you, come but I have point. to let you go. <laughs> I love you, but at the end of the day, Barcelona is Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Real Madrid is Real. Like, it's just, it's the reality. But anyway, well, anyway, that's that's a topic for another day. But yeah, I, I think that, um, I think I, I'm of the opinion now that the solutions for this thing have to mostly come from within. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we're paying elite manager money for in terms of an elite manager. And, um, I think we've invested enough in midfield and I think that he, you know, unless it's just, unless Gabaman has nothing or unless you swear to me that there's just, you know, if Carlo just defiantly pounds his fist on the desk and says, uh, ben Godfrey is a center half and he is going to be our fourth center half this season and we can do nothing else with him. I won't play him in midfield because like, I just don't, I think I feel like he's more pragmatic than that, but I guess we'll see. Um, I want to end on one topic that is more of a hypothetical and it's something that, or it's not even a hypothetical. It's, it's more a confidence question. And, and I want to know, I, I want to revisit this at the end of the season. And it's sort of a two part question about uh, the aforementioned uh, central defensive pairing, okay? Um, do you feel like you know in your heart of hearts among, and I'm talking about the existing squad, so not, not anyone who you could bring in. I'm just talking about the guys that are there right now. Are you sure that you know who, A, the, best def- the, the ideal and best defensive pairing actually is? Are you sure you know? 
Hmm. And B, are you so sure you know that you can predict, barring freakish injury, who that will be by the end of the season? Um, and I will start, Mark, by saying I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm really not sure. I I've been told I've been told that Mason Holgate is going to return and everything will be just fine and perfect. So don't worry about it. Mason Holgate's mm-hmm. got this covered. Um, I've been told that you know. This version of Michael Keane is the real Michael Keane and not the version that was terrible for two years. Don't worry about it. I've been told that Yerry Mina, uh, you know, Yerry Mina is too, like, Yerry Mina is, uh, I'm told by way too many people that Yerry Mina obviously can't play football at all. I don't even know what he does, what he's doing out there, why he gets paid anything. But uh, tongue tongue and cheek aside, I I don't actually think that people are quite that extreme on Yerry Mina. But but I think my point is is that uh, there's always this talk about, well, you know, Everton have to find their their best defensive pairing, and it's not about the two mm-hmm. quote best individual players, but who makes the best partnership. Partnerships the the buzzword we use a lot. Um, is Ben Godfrey ultimately that guy? Uh, I I don't think he is this season, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think the idea that there's got to be there's probably thoughts in some quarters that next or in the next couple of years it's Branthwaite and Godfrey or something like that I I don't know but I think my question to you is do you feel certain that you know who the who the best pairing is and uh if so do you think that they will be the the center half pairing by the end of the season I'm not as confident that I know the answer to that but I'm curious as to your thoughts I feel like I know who the best one is um and Mason Holgate is is the answer to a lot of those questions because I think it's when we look at partnerships and pairings I think it's you, you clearly look at the center half partnership Mason Holgate is capable of forging pairings with his fullback uh, his central midfielders his goalkeeper importantly I think when when I when I watch him on the ball I see an intelligent footballer who is on the same wavelength as every other player around him. Um, and when when yeah. he when he's playing the ball with Pickford, I feel a certainty and I feel a trust in that Mason Hargate is aware of what's happening in this situation and he's in control. When I see yeah. Michael Keane playing interchanges with Jordan Pickford, um, it's to say it's edge of the seat stuff. I'm, I'm not even on the seat anymore. I'm just on the floor <laughs> holding my knees up yeah. my chest crying because the... And that's probably more about Pickford than Keane, well, but yeah, I know what you're yeah. the, the sense <laughs> yeah. of inevitability, but it's even even the the small nuanced moments about knowing when Luca Dean has pushed up a little bit higher or just knowing when Alan is slightly out of position and Mason Hallgate is is seemingly always aware of when a slight adjustment in his game will benefit the team holistically. And I think he is he is so intelligent that we now come on podcasts like this and talk about moving him around because we want a team full of Mason Holgates because I think for all of the technical and the physical attributes that a footballer can have, if you are able to read the game and play with such a high level of intelligence and and be on that wave to know stylistically where the game is going and tactically what is happening as opposed to just the the physical interventions that a center defender is is clearly always going to have to make then he potentially is going to be an incredibly important player for Everton for the next decade um so in, in terms of 
importance right now in partnership and, and this season and, and future seasons going forward. I think that defensively, he is the one that you you really have to to staple all of your hopes to. I I would probably argue that from a from a complementary point of view to to Mason Holgate, that Yerry Mina is probably a little bit higher up the pecking order than than Michael Keane. Um, I mean that in a sense. Okay, that, I want to hear why. I can't wait to hear why, Mark, because this is. Something that I probably uh, no one trusts me on it because they think I'm a shill for Yerry Mina, which I probably am. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I, I irrationally like love him. <laughs> but then again, I also try to make arguments for his qualities. But I think that I I think that right now everyone says, oh well, obviously it's 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 Holgate and Keen, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. I just am saying I'm not as I, I just. There's there's this lingering doubt I have there. Uh, so you're going against the tide of of most of Blue Room Twitter for sure, and yeah. most of Everton Twitter at this point. So give me give me your argument for why, from a complimentary perspective. And, and by the way, I, I I know that you're about to do that. I, I would say that part of my thinking, and I think a lot of people's thinking, is that that Holgate and I guess maybe even Zuma would have counted in this when he was there. They're like one type, right? Maybe yeah. Godfrey is more of a Holgate type. They're about they're more similar in size, right? Whereas Yerry Mina and Keane are a different type of center half. They're the big dominant in the air uh, guys who are going to you know head a goal in. They're going to be good in physical battles, but they have limitations in regards to their pace. Uh, and so pairing them together is not always great. Um, I still would have paired them together against United, but that's a that's just that's a whole different issue just because I think Holgate needs more time to to get back into it. But tell me why you think Yerry Mina maybe edges that and not Michael Keane because I'm I'm curious as to what your rationale is for that. I think it's totally fine to say at this point that my irrational love for him is is part of the reason. Uh, I think he's a, <laughs> he's a fantastic personality. He just, he's one of those footballers that just. For, for for all of the right reasons, makes you laugh when you see him because he clearly just loves every moment on that pitch and and hopefully loves being at Everton and uh, and that is the that is the justification which absolutely does not matter but I'm giving it anyway. Um, in in terms of it, it's hard to know stylistically. We've seen so many good Premier League teams and Premier League champions have centre halves that aren't necessarily bread and butter in terms of style. Um, you, you can have two really good ball winners and do good things in this league. But I think the everything that we, we have already said about Mason Holgate in terms of being um, so intelligent and so adaptable and so capable on the ball, that they are arguably the things that you do quiver when Yerry Mina's name is brought into, you know, playing the ball around the 18-yard the, the box because... As much as it should be part of his mantra coming from Barcelona, that there are there are occasions whereby you get the whole. It was the same when Fellaini was in front of the back four and he picked the ball up, and you just thought, you know, bad things are going to happen here because the level of assurance you need from someone on the ball is is never quite there. And I think Yerry Mina is sometimes guilty yeah, but- of that. I was going to say, Yerry Mina, passing-wise, I've always thought he looks pretty comfortable on the ball. His stats back up that he's a good passer of the ball. 
But I think that there's something about his, I don't know if it's his height, his quirky personality. Like there's something about him that makes people feel like, because he looks kind of awkward. He's kind yeah. of a high running style or whatever. It's his physique, makes people yeah. think, but, but I never really were. I'm, I've always been more worried about Michael Keane on the ball, though I, I've acknowledged several times that Michael Keane has improved in that regard significantly. Um, I feel like the I'm more worried about Yerry Mina out in space. Like that goal that we gave up against Newcastle where we were pushing. I mean, at that point, I, yeah. we were obviously pushing for the win. You know, we were pushing to score at that point. We, we pushed up. We yeah, had Decore yeah, yeah. playing right, went right, right back at that point. And so it was, it was one of those things where I felt like he got caught on the break in space and that's not his game and, and it's not Keane's game either. And so, but yeah, go ahead. I, 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 I see what you're generally saying, but yes, Holgate is obviously the guy that yeah. you feel because of his agility, if you will, his agility is such that you're going to feel more comfortable with him in some of those situations. Yeah. I think mean is capable of being in those situations, but it's not going to be his reason for being in the side. Whereas that, that is absolutely right. Mason Holgate's reason. Um, Yerry Mina is there to be the ball winner, to be the aggressive centre half, to to possibly be a little bit more not cavalier because that's not what you want from your your centre half. But there's almost that freedom to go and be the the dominant force to to go go and win everything and, and kind of set the standard defensively, primarily from set pieces. You'd say. Uh, on that note, he's also very capable going forward. Um, as much as Michael Keane has obviously weighed in this season as well, but. I think the the important thing that we we do when we compare these two players is that I think it's quite important to note that the things that I feel that Yerry Mina is not quite good enough at, Michael Keane is probably a little bit worse at, uh, and and that's this isn't a big competition to be who who's the least worse and therefore can play for Everton, <laughs> but the. Yeah. The, the major issue with Yerry Mina, I think, is that when players are running at him on the ball, um, he that, that's when the whole clumsiness of his physique starts to send chivers down your spine. Because yeah, certainly the the goal that West Brom scored against us quite early on in the in the game that oh, yeah. we we ultimately played well in. When I when I close my eyes in the dark times, I can see Yerry Mina backpedaling from the halfway line to the six yard box. <laughs> uh, and and yeah. that that is that is a a finger that we would point at Michael Keane as well. But I think the mm-hmm. the kind of general point that I'd make in in comparing these two is that and I know that you've got to have a crystal ball to con, to confirm this, but I feel like the best that Everton fans will see of Michael Keane is the spell on the silver at the end of the season where the whole team were playing well, everything was going great. The defense had arguably not a great deal to do. Uh, I don't think we. It was a time where we 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 beat Man United and we and we beat Chelsea and and we had and we beat Arsenal, and you could kind of you could see how the the setup of the team was contributing defensively, so that the defense didn't actually have to contribute as much. It was a it was a very strange setup and one that I think Pickford pulled off. You know count on one hand that number of saves against what were the best five or six teams oh, in the yeah. league and 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 that was a massive testament to to the manager and the way that we set up but I feel that in terms of how assured and confident I am in, in achieving a defender's peak I feel like Yerry Mina has probably got a little bit more to to show and my, my tolerance to 
I'm intrigued to find out what the limitations of Yeri Mina are. I feel like there's a lot more there to to investigate for Everton. And it's probably the, the hope that I'm pinning on him being the player that in my head he should be. That, that That's what kind of catapults him above Michael Keane for me because I... I it's, it's what you see against Palace or Brighton that, that makes you think, oh my God, yeah. this guy is fantastic. It's, it's, and, and it's the consistency is the issue. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, it, it's probably a little bit naive to say that I feel like I've seen the best of Michael Keane. Maybe that is not the case and maybe we're all writing him off before this kind of apocalyptic season that he's about to have. But Yeri, what I like about Yerry Mina to, to pinpoint some of the, the more positive games earlier in the campaign is that I feel like he bullies attacks. I mean, we, we so often talk about an attacking side who come and bully a defence and make it really difficult for them. Um, I, I almost, whether it's a personality issue with him, I, I feel as though he he really dominates attacks at times. Um, and, and whether that is a, an element of physique and it, it's, it's purely a height thing and, and obviously those sort of tall ranging legs, isn't it? And that you feel like he could claw any situation back by just sticking that big right leg out. But I don't know. It, it, maybe it is a bit of a, a personality issue, but the, the there's no there's no assertiveness in me when I say that I feel like Michael Keane could be at the rock of this defence for years to come. And I, I, as much as possibly there's a frailty in me when I say that I feel like Yerry Mina could be that man, but I basically think that the platform for Mina is so much higher than what it is for Keane. Uh, and may, maybe that maybe that is driven by by hope, but I'm I'm willing to invest in that to find out where it goes. Um and, and, and maybe that maybe that's harsh on Keane, but I, I think that the reason we'll see a lot more of Keane, to answer your point about where we go this season, I think there's a there's a, a, st- a stable and you know a defender that we all know about, and it's something that is is arguably a safer option than Yerry Mina is to put Michael Keane in there. And I don't know, you might agree in that 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 is possibly the reason that that we see more of him. Well, and and I think there's absolutely something to that that there's this sense of adventure managers have about their willingness to take risks in other parts of the pitch that when it comes to center halves, they're like, this is where I have to be ultra conservative. And I, I've made the argument this season that you, I like, I think at times I, I understand the principle, but I think at times this notion of clean sheets gets made into this Holy grail thing as if you get an extra point for having a clean sheet that you don't yes. or something yeah, like yeah. that. Like it, it's this, uh, it's this artifact of this, very stiff upper lip culture that says, well, you know, the most important thing is to not give up anything first. And that's all that really matters. Nothing matters before that, you know? And I'm like, well, in the modern game, I, I guess I, I probably at times, and maybe my argument for Yuri Mina has been that I feel like, um, even though, you know, Keane certainly headed in, he's, he's had a, he's had a couple goals this season too. I mean, I, I think that, that Yerry Mina has a definite upside with Hamas on the pitch, taking corners and why Sigurdsson ever takes any set pieces. I don't understand, but you know, when Hamas does, there is definitely a familiarity there where I feel like Mina's going to score like he did against, uh, I guess it was Brighton when he scored that goal. And, and I think that there's some upside there. I think in general, uh, he's a better, he's an overall more comfortable on the ball, a better passer. 
But obviously, they have some of the same kind of they have some of the same issues with pace mm-hmm. and, and what have you. I think where I get sensitive, Mark, and this is a, a, a this is a bigger issue that that I'm willing to debate anyone on. It's that I feel like uh, I can point to mistakes, individual mistakes that both Yerry Mina and Michael Keane have made on goals that we've conceded this season. And I would argue that if you're going to play heavy minutes at center half in this league, you're going to make a mistake that gives up a goal every once in a while. You just, I mean, the the Virgil, the Virgil Van Dyke invincible season where he's literally never been dribbled around. You know, <laughs> that's great, but that's so rare yeah. that to expect that in, on any kind of regular basis I, is, I think, a bit much. But where I get sensitive, season. Mark. Yeah, especially this season. But where I think I get sensitive and where I feel defensive of Yerimina is that I feel like when uh, this is my feeling, and again, uh, this is just how I feel, uh, but I feel like the reaction and, and so much of the, the heartbeat of, of how we, we consume this is on social media reaction and, and, and even the comments of, of our friends and colleagues on the Blue Room is that when Michael Keane makes a mistake, I feel like it's sort of like, uh, well, Keane could have been better there. And then we don't talk about it anymore. But when Yerry Mina makes a mistake, it's like, see, Yerry Mina, you, know, you just can't. He's just not he's not as good. He's not good enough. And yet mm-hmm. Michael Keane, you would think Michael Keane hasn't made a mistake all season the way that people talk about how he's clearly easily just and, and, and you know, so so many miles ahead of Yerry Mina. And I think that where I take offense is that I don't know what that's about, but. You can argue that, okay, Michael Keane is a little more steady hand uh, this season based on performances or this, this, and that. I think it's a, I think you can have a rational argument about why you'd rather have Michael Keane start over Yuri Mina, and I'm fine with that. But what I think is irrational is those who act like there are miles uh, apart, that, that the two of them are miles apart in terms yeah. of A, their performances or their quality. I don't buy it. I watch the same games as all of you, and I don't buy that Michael Keane is somehow worlds above Yerry Mina. And in fact, to your point, I think what I come back to is if two players are relatively equal performance-wise, and yes, I'll admit Yerry Mina is, will make him like the West Brom thing here or there, blah, blah, blah. But given the choice between two relatively similarly similar guys, uh, give me the one that has more overall physical ability frankly talent uh, i i i think michael Keane is uh has has resurrected his career to a degree under under carlo ancelotti um but i still i still will die on the hill of saying i think yeri mina is more talented mm. uh whatever that means whether it's his whether it's the fact that he's almost two years younger, whether it's the fact that he is very big and physical and to the point you made earlier, there is a combativeness and a snarl about Yeri Mina when he's out there. Because as nice as he is, as as joyful and jokey and all those things, I think people sometimes conflate that with him not him being an unserious person as a footballer. And I think that that's unfair. Whereas Michael Keane has the benefit of having zero personality and therefore because he has no personality and doesn't, you know, answers mm. every every question he answers is very generic, which is fine. Most athletes, I think, are safe and not not trying to have too much personality. But I think Michael Keane gets the benefit of being treated like he is somehow a more serious footballer than Yerry Mina. And I, I find that that's a form of like, that's a weird kind of 
bordering on prejudice sort of thing about about how players are treated versus others but i guess what i would say is that i've i've been watching everton for so long now and what i've resented the most about this side over over periods of time is that once we got past kind of the late moyes years where you had those fellanis and you had those those really kind of edgy hard working kind of you know you know types that would would get into an opponent that when I that that I probably find myself gravitating towards Yeri Mina because he is a guy who when he is on the pitch he he has a mean expression on his face most of the time he is you know I, I'll never forget I was at the home game against Watford where uh, Jerry tried to take a dive after Yeri Mina had made this good defensive coverage play on him and Yeri Mina just. Yeah hovered over him and looked at him and just started screaming at him in Spanish. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm I, there's nothing worse than a soft, a soft ass Everton team. I want it. That's why I like Allen. I, even with his, even with some of his issues lately, I still would rather Allen be on the pitch because you need guys like him and Richarlison, Yerry Mina, who are willing to get out there and be a little nasty and not, not get pushed around. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably why I make that argument. I haven't said that. I'm not going to be crushed if, if Keenan Holgate are starting this week. I think Yerry Mina has to, on his own, push for, you know, he has to push for playing time like any other player. I'm not saying he's above that, but. Yeah, I, I think that the discussion at times gets really overstated in regards to this idea that, well, Keane has been flawless this season and he's significantly better than Yuri. I, I just don't I don't buy it. And I'm going to be the guy who probably dies on that hill. And I fully admit that to go back to the original question mark. I think you're spot on about Mason Holgate. I, I hope that that Mason Holgate that played so well uh, for those long stretches is coming back. I assume he is. He just needs time to get his fitness back up and yeah. all those sorts of things and get get his rhythm back. But I, I, I agree with you. I think Mason Holgate is the glue that holds it together. But I think that you could uh, – Mason Holgate in his top form, you could partner him with Keane or Mina or Branthwaite or, you know, um, or Godfrey. And I think that we'd probably – be okay, but until we figure out what that combination really is, I'm, I'm left in this place where I, I'm not going to play put money on who I think will be the starting pair by the end of the season, or say for sure that I think that Holgate and Keen are perfect. When I think that there are, I think that I think some of this can still play out. So it'll be an interesting, it'll be interesting to see how this goes the rest of the season. But uh, I, I thank you, Mark, for indulging me in a good Michael Keen, Yerry Mina, yeah. Mason Holgate conversation that I've been dying to have uh, for is, a few is, weeks. Yerry Mina is the right. victim of like the is the victim of this kind of class clown mantra that a lot of people like to paint him in. Um, and yeah, that's 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 your punishment for happiness, um, Yeri, because we we don't oh, I know we don't want to see you see you enjoying yourself. And uh, uh, you know, as, as much as he may, yeah, if we're miserable, he has to be miserable. Yeah, too, yeah, right? yeah. And that, that's what Everton's all about. But I think I think in, in summary, I mean, it's a good point about age first and foremost because I mean, players that are, are so similar uh, and so on a knife edge in terms of splitting the difference between them. Then you, you potentially do go for the one who you think has got the highest ceiling and, and possibly a little bit more years in the bank, not only at the club but in his career as well. Uh, and, and that's a that's a very basic way of of looking at it. But I think if, if you were to step back and say in four years' time, which one of these players, be it at Everton or not, would you expect to see in a, a team that was competing in the Champions League? Then Yerry Mina would be absolutely the first one. 
And you are lying if you think that Michael Keane is going to go on to to do anything sort of at, at that higher level of Champions League football because I I don't see that footballer uh, and hmm. that that may be writing him off in his in his twenties here. But I'm I'm sorry, but he is he is not going to be remembered as one of this football club's great centre halves. Uh, and as much as that might be a a massive platform to, to for Yerry Mina to aim for, I feel as though we may well end up at the same position, Rob, by by comparing those two players for four or five years. But mm-hmm. I think I'll be a little bit happier having watched Yerry Mina than Michael Keane. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, we haven't even brought up uh, fitness and and injury and and those sorts of things, which and is an issue. Yeah, that's going to be and 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 to 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 Yerry's credit, they and to the club's credit, they've managed him through this season mm-hmm. by not having him play multiple games in a week. And uh, I think Yerry Mina was genius by getting red carded uh, for Columbia and not having to play that extra game this week too. Um, but no, I, <laughs> you know, I think, I think, and we'll, we'll end on this too. I, I think that, um, I think the one thing I would caution people about is to underestimate um, you know, go into that class clown thing that you talk about. I think that's a mm. bit of a, re- you know, that's a bit reductive when people just say that that's all Yeri Mina yeah. is. You look at, you, you look at the way, I mean, whether it's those behind the scenes videos, whether it's social media, whether it's, um, you know, the way in which he puts an arm around every single player, not just the Latin American players, not just like, you know, he seems to be the one that is circles around that entire dressing room with encouragement and positivity. I caution you guys to think that players who um, are positive dressing room presences don't think that they're very easily cut and paste. We have seen over the years at Everton that those guys, mm. good personalities, guys who wake up every day, and believe me, I think part of the reason I like Gary Mina is because I'm not like this. He wakes up every day and seems genuinely excited to have an opportunity to breathe air again and to just live yeah. and do whatever. The guy is just sunshine, and you know, as much as you can think, well, you can anyone can have that. I think that I think that it. I would caution you to to, to believe that just taking that out. Mm-hmm. is easily replaced and or is unimportant. Um, I think the levity that someone like that brings is so important when you go through the slog of a season that 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 the Premier League can often be. So I I, I think that I, I find myself rooting for him somewhat irrationally at times, but I don't think it's totally irrational because I definitely see a player there. And again, I, this idea that that if a, that that we have to make a decision right now on everyone and that you know I, I think that there's time for for those those things and I, I, I'm not too wor- I'm really not worried about you know Yerry Mina will either make make it happen at Everton or he'll go somewhere else and I'll still be rooting for him and I'm not too worried yeah, about absolutely. it uh, but but I but I would say this too and I'll go back to what I said before the extension Michael Keane got was well deserved. And I also think that that puts the club in a very good place for when some club says, I would love to have an English center half who's nice and steady that we'll overpay for. I think Everton are in a great position to, to I, I still maintain that just based on the contract that Keane is going to end up being probably more in the short term sellable than Yerry Mina, but I, I don't mm. know. One of them is probably gone because I think that you don't buy Ben Godfrey, uh, and, you know, Probably unless you think you're going to 
you know, can you've paid Mason Holgate? I think there's a lot of questions about who the pairing will be uh, next season or seasons beyond. But uh, I would say right now that that take joy wherever you can get it with the players that you enjoy. And uh, you're yeah, is a guy yeah. that for whatever reason I just enjoy. And and uh, Mark, thank you for joining me. I feel like I'm no longer alone on this hill anymore. Uh, and again, <laughs> all of this sounds like I don't want you guys who are listening to this to be like, oh, well, he's hating on Michael Keane. No, Michael Keane has, has been very Coleman. good this season. Well, Seamus Coleman, I, you know what it is? <laughs> I'm never going to forgive Seamus Coleman for the Gomez injury reaction at Spurs. I just, I'm, I'm petty and I've never hidden the fact that I'm super petty. So that's fine. I, I'm petty and I need to get over it, but I, I just can't. And you know what? When Seamus Coleman does retire one day, uh, I hope that we have a great testimonial for him. He's been a great player for Everton. I just, just kind of ready. I'm ready to leave leave the Moyes era behind at some point. I guess <laughs> yeah. is my is my thing. All right, well, guys, uh, the, Mark, this has been great. See, we only needed the two of us to fill 90 minutes worth of time talking about all this stuff. Uh, but uh, really enjoyed it, buddy. And, yeah, uh, you too. Yeah, uh, guys, we'll, we'll you know Everton returns with a must win on Sunday at lunchtime against Fulham. Uh, we'll have post match. We'll have uh, all of you know mailbag and all the other blue room accoutrement that comes with it over the next week or so. Uh, uh, for Mark Mosey, I'm Rob Vera. We'll see With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.